0: You are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA
1: in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-22. through 22. Suffering for doing good. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander for it is better if it is god's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil for christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to god he was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit after being made alive he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him.
0: Well, thanks, Gail, for reading scripture for us today. I realized that I had bit off more than I could chew with this text. As this week, I was looking at verses 8 to 22. It does function as a a unit in the text. But I realized I was in trouble when I opened my smallest commentary on First Peter, and for these verses alone, there were over 30 pages to read. And I mean, we could have preached the whole text, certainly that can be done, but I just felt like uh, it might benefit us more if we were able to split it in half and take them in more bite-sized pieces. And I don't know about you, but in the summer with the heat and humidity, I mean, my attention span just isn't quite what it usually would be either. So we're going to take a different approach today so that our eyes don't glaze over and we can't even remember tomorrow what we studied today. So here is the plan. We're going to do verses 8 to 12 today. Then on Wednesday of this week, I'm going to upload a message that will cover the second half, part two, verses 13 to 22. So some of you grew up going to Wednesday night services or confirmation or my Catholic friends at CCD, This is going to be a little reminiscent, maybe in all the good ways, of that kind of Wednesday night message. You can wait for that, watch for that this week. Facebook Live, YouTube, we'll get it out there for you to view. So part two on Wednesday, but part one today, I've titled our message, The Extraordinary Way to Experience Blessing. So when was the last time that you saw something extraordinary? If something really qualifies as extraordinary, I mean it. It's jaw-dropping. It's eye-popping. It stops you in your tracks and makes you do a double-take, a triple-take. What we're going to see today in First Peter is something that qualifies as extraordinary. It's so different than the way the world works. It should take our breath away, especially in 2020 in this coronavirus election year America. What we're going to see today is stunning. I think it is going to be so refreshing from what we hear day in and day out in our culture today. I think it's going to amaze us and captivate us as this extraordinary way that, yes, you and I can experience blessing. So last week, Pastor Sonia, in her last formal message to us as a pastor on our staff, had us in 1 Peter 2, and she spoke to us about the S word. Now, that reminded me right away of A few years ago, one of my daughters coming home from school and she said, dad, I heard a a pretty bad word at school today. One of the kids said it and I said, oh, what word was that? She said, it was the D word. And I said, oh, well, well, what's the D word? And she looked around and then said in a real quiet voice, she said, dumb, dumb was the D word. (laughs) So last week we had the S word. If you remember, it was the word submit, submit. And Peter talks about submission and applies it then to uh, citizens, servants, wives, husbands, all these different roles. And, And so what we read today follows on the heels of Peter's instruction on submission. And that is the extraordinary way we experience blessing. So submission was already a radical thought. And now this, what does a life look like? when it is fully submitted to God? What does a life look like when it is standing under God's blessing? And Peter gives us five characteristics to remember. Now, ordinarily, I would not encourage my kids to write on their hands. But this week, I just made an exception because I was trying to remember these five things and I'm driving around in the car and just kind of rehearsing this text. And and so I put the first letter of each of these five words on the tips of my fingers. So there you can see it, L-S-L-C-H. However you need to remember this today, I just pray that at the end of the the message, these five words will stick with you. So let me introduce them. Verse 8 is this lead-off sentence, really for the whole passage, all the way to verse 22. He says, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. So here they are, like-minded, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, and humble. The first L, like-minded, that is really the literal translation, like-minded, but you might have another version of the Bible in front of you that says harmonious or unity of mind, be united in spirit. Like-minded was this foundational value in Christian community Because in the early church, you had people from different races and religions all being gathered together in their belief in Christ. This was uniting them, people who otherwise had very little to do with each other. We shared on social media this week something that our friends at Feed My Starving Children had sent to us. It was this video of 50 countries, all affected by COVID-19, singing one song, the song Amazing Grace. Each person singing in their own language. And it was just this beautiful tapestry of the body of Christ singing as one body under the lordship of Jesus. And sometimes it would be one nation on the screen, sometimes a couple. And it did not escape my notice that in about the middle of the song, you had an Egyptian on the left paired with an Israeli on the right. And we remember in the Old Testament, I mean, these. These were enemies, and yet here they are, two followers of Jesus, singing amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Closer to home, we have been learning about like-mindedness with the church in Minneapolis this summer, Greater Friendship Missionary Baptist Church. It's on 38th Street. Our two congregations really do not look a lot like each other, at least on the surface. But we have said that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are sick of of being disconnected and out of touch with who Jesus says is our family. So we are forging this new partnership in ministry and we're learning to be like minded. Like mindedness was something not just Peter, but also Paul wrote to the church about. And he said in this great passage in Philippians complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind verse five, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And that's what it's all about. Like-mindedness is really about being like Jesus. It means that we have the mind and love of Christ. And this flies right in the face of American individualism. You know, we live in a culture that really elevates personal freedom. So we say things like, well, it's my right, Don't tell me what to do. And without losing the importance of the individual, the Bible comes along and emphasizes community so that I actually lay down my rights for the good of my neighbor. Like-mindedness means I'm willing to conform my goals and my needs to the greater good of the community. And this too should be elevated in our country. It certainly has before. This is what caused young men to storm the beaches of Normandy. This is what caused first responders to climb the stairs of the Twin Towers. And today, I think this is what causes a doctor or a nurse to strap on three masks and a face shield and go to work. This is a value that we want to elevate in our country. But above all, like-mindedness should be elevated in the church. This is a place where not just a worship team sings in harmony, but we get to be in harmony. We get to be in harmony with each other. Though we come from different backgrounds and and have different opinions about things, we are united as followers of Jesus. And there should be no division in the body of Christ. We are united under the authority of God's word and united under the leading of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says to us, to the church. Be like-minded. Second in his list, Peter says, be sympathetic. There's the S, and don't mind this little band-aid from softball. But our word sympathy comes from this Greek word, sympathes. It's a combo of two words, the word with, and then the word affection or feeling. So, to be sympathetic means to relate to someone with feeling. The Apostle Paul, again, in Romans says, were to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. In 1 Corinthians he says when one member of the body suffers then we all suffer. That's why this spring we started what we called the COVID financial assistance fund and we were so encouraged by the generosity coming in and then the financial blessings flowing out to our brothers and sisters in need. We saw the church rise to this occasion and come alongside those who are losing their jobs or losing income. I was reading this week that actually most of the research that's done in psych and human motivation is funded for the purpose of manipulating people for political or economic gain. I'll say that again, kind of a a mouthful, but most of the research done in psych and human motivation is funded for the purposes of manipulating people For political or economic gain. That's why I say this way is so extraordinary that we read about in the Bible because the MO of the world around us is to manipulate and exploit, to seek personal gain at the expense of others. In stark contrast to that, we have this other way where we are actually called to share with others and to support them. Where do we learn how to do this? Hebrews 4 says that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. That great high priest, of course, is Jesus. He sees us with affection, with sympathy, and then is able to teach us and show us what it looks like for us to have sympathy with others. The third characteristic, let's get to the second L in the list is loving. Now, we need to give this one some meat because this word just has become so plain sounding for us. But the actual word here sounds a lot more like the name Philadelphia. I remember learning this in school, that Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And William Penn picked that name out of the Greek New Testament. It's this word here, Philadelphoi. You might know that In the Bible, we have these different words and kinds of love. It's very different in English where we just have the one word, love. Um, So more literal translations here would really capture this nuance because this is the word for brotherly love. And so other Bibles might read, be brotherly or have brotherly love. In our version, it says, love one another. And what we need to understand when we read that little phrase, love one another, is that this is a family word. In our list of five, both this one and the next are terms taken right out of the kinship context of their culture. So Peter is very deliberately taking family language and he is applying it to the church. And he's saying that the love that we should have in the church is a family kind of love. You know, if God is our heavenly father, which he said in chapter one, then that makes us brothers and sisters. And brotherly love, you know doesn't mean that we just we love to hang out, kind of this chummy feel, you're my bro or my sis." but this is a much deeper sense that, that we have been given new birth, and we're born again into this new family, into Christ's family. Biological family is important, absolutely, but spiritual family is forever. So let's recap. We have be like-minded, be sympathetic. Loving. And fourth, it says, be compassionate. That's the C. When I think of compassion, you know, I think of uh, hearts going out to a good cause or disaster relief or feeding the hungry. All would be pictures of compassion for me. But in the first century context, this word was really a family word, like I, I said earlier. It gets translated as kind hearted or having a tender heart and was often used in the context of family. Now, in classical Greek, this word refers very literally to the inner organs, because they said this is where uh, the feelings reside. So if you had the guts to do something, we use that phrase, it means that you had courage. But that's classical Greek. When you get into Koine Greek in the Bible, they put a twist on it. And the biblical connotation was that the inner organs were the seat of mercy so they use this word not to talk so much about courage but to talk about concern for others and that's why if you're reading the old king james and you get to like colossians 3:12 it says have bowels of mercy <laughs> in the old english yeah, it doesn't quite have the same ring in our modern english and so in many translations now we would read clothe yourselves with compassion but the idea is of the inner organs the guts where mercy and concern are felt at their deepest level. Again, we're not surprised to see that it is Jesus who shows us what this looks like. There are so many passages in the Gospels where Jesus looks on the crowd with compassion, or he looks on the sick with compassion. It's it's this word that's used. It's also a word that comes up in some of the most well-known parables that Jesus tells. So we think of the prodigal son returning home, and the father is waiting, and he sees his son off in the distance, and it says the father was filled with compassion, and he runs to meet his son. Another one would be the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, where uh, the Samaritan sees the man lying on the road, and it says he had compassion on him. Again, it's this word, and he goes to bandage the man's wounds. One book I was reading this week described compassion as a love that cannot be demanded. I thought that was right on the money. That's what mercy is. It's a love that cannot be demanded. The father did not need to welcome back that son who squandered his inheritance and dishonored his family. The good Samaritan wasn't required to stop and tend to the wounds of a Jewish man. But that is what compassion does. That's what God does. This is his kind of love, and the Holy Spirit moves our hearts in the same direction. When my kids at home will start to fight over the years, sometimes I have started to sing this old Sunday school song that is pretty corny and kind of sounds like a radio jingle. And so they'll be in the midst of arguing, and I'll start to sing this song that is from Ephesians 4.32. I'm going to spare you my singing but I do want to mention this verse. It says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So you can just imagine how irritated my kids get when they're arguing, and then their dad starts to sing this cheery little tune off in the distance. But God has indeed shown us his compassion in Christ. And that brings us to word number five. Word number five is the word humble. There's the H, the pinky. Some translations say humble in spirit. And when I think about this word, oh, that is something truly extraordinary. It is today, but back then in the Greco-Roman world where Peter was writing, I mean, this was so countercultural. This was an honor-shame culture that they lived in. And they actually viewed humility as a sign of weakness and shame. They despised humility. They would reserve it to label the lowest social status. The literal word here actually says lowly-minded. And so you notice how it bookends with with first in our list of five. We had like-minded, and it finishes literally with lowly-minded, humble, humility. This was usually a derogatory term in their setting. But then along comes Jesus, and he says Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This was something extraordinary. Jesus is teaching humility. And Peter, as one of those disciples, he's got a lot to learn about humility, doesn't he? I mean, Peter, just to cite one instance, is the one who says, I'll never deny you, Lord, even if I have to die with you. That is the statement of a brash and prideful man. But before the rooster crows that night, Peter is denied Jesus three times. But I want to point out humility is about a lot more than just like shaving off pridefulness. Humility is just as much about becoming more like a servant. So Jesus picks up a towel in a basin and he washes dirty feet. That's humility. Jesus goes to die On a Roman cross, that's not just humility, that's humiliation. Jesus flips the whole script on humility. And so the New Testament mandate becomes, clothe yourselves with humility. We'll read that coming up in chapter five. I got to watch some of our boys from church play in their last baseball game of the season just a few nights ago. It was Tuesday night out at the ball fields, U13s, The Elk River boys out there in their great looking uniforms. And and I got to watch not only a comeback, but I watched these boys pull off a walk-off winner. And it was so much fun to be sitting in the grass uh, next to some of the parents and just watching them play, seeing these boys encourage each other, celebrate together as they won, and then to gather out in the outfield with their coaches. And that's when I took this picture. But what I see in this picture is more than just a team in those nice Elk River baseball unis. What I see are young men who are learning to put on the uniform of humility. They are learning to wear the clothing of a Christ follower. And a humble spirit is part of the deal. The walk-off winner at the end of this list of five is humility. Those are the five characteristics of a life submitted to God, a life that is standing under God's blessing. And in our last minutes, we're just on the the home stretch here. I want to show you how Peter then paints a picture of what this looks like in verse 9. It's almost like he's saying, should we name some specific ways that you can put this into practice, that you can do these five things? He says, well, well, let's start with this, and then we read verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Do you see where this title comes from? This is the extraordinary way to experience blessing. This is not normal stuff here. The ordinary way of doing things doesn't look anything like this. I mean, when someone wrongs you or insults you, what's your first instinct? I know what mine is. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to stand up for myself. You might tell your friends what had happened, get them involved, sling mud, fight back. But do you know how a Christian gets even? Do you know how a Christian is designed to respond to evil or insult? You respond with blessing. If you belong to Jesus, then you are free from vindictiveness, because he fights your battles, and you get to give blessings. The story is told of a Christian soldier based in California, living in the barracks with his unit there, and every night before he turned out the light, he would just spend a few minutes in scripture and in prayer. Well, the soldier across the aisle, the bed across the aisle from him, just couldn't stand this. I mean, he would hurl insults at him, just trying to make his life miserable. There was one night this soldier was praying and this pair of muddy combat boots came flying for his head. Here's what happened. The next morning, the hostile soldier woke up to find his combat boots cleaned, polished, and ready for inspection at the foot of his bed. And after that, There were several other soldiers throughout that unit who became Christians because they saw this extraordinary thing that there was this man with the inner fortitude to return insult with blessing. Something like that can only come from God. So this is what we have been called to, it says. And yes, we've been called to it in 2020. What a great year to live in an extraordinary way. How are you going to interact with this whole back-to-school thing? How are you going to speak of political candidates or people who have a vastly different opinion than you? How are you going to post and respond on social media this year? How are you going to treat kids who are outsiders, who are unpopular and alone? Are you going to do something extraordinary? How are you going to clean the boots of people who would throw them at you. And I say this not to talk about moralizing here. That is not what this is about. I'm talking about living in response to the grace that we have been given. You and I get to live in this way, this extraordinary way, because God has secured our eternal inheritance in Christ. You know, do you earn an inheritance? No. An inheritance is given to family given to sons and daughters. And that is what you are as you have put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, we didn't even get to Psalm 34, which is what Peter quotes then in verses 10 to 12. But what I'd like to do is just take this psalm and turn it into a prayer. I'm going to lean on the words of that psalm as we close together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, while we bow before your throne and recognize that here your word says to us that whoever wants to enjoy life and see good days should keep their words from evil. Lord, would you help us to choose our words wisely? Your word, Lord, says that we should turn from evil and do good, that we should seek peace and pursue it. And Lord, we long to do this, that we would be aligned with your will. So would you show us the way? Your word, Lord, says that your eye is on the righteous and your ear is attentive to our prayers. We are so grateful that you call us righteous because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and that you hear our prayers. Lord, our lives are yours. You use us to be a blessing to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.